What is up, everybody? Welcome into this Monday episode of Flippin' Bats. Hope everybody had a great weekend. Mondays are always great. Team of the week, player of the week. We got a brand new top 10 Major League Baseball power rankings. We got overreaction Monday. We had the London series. This one, we got a lot to talk about, and it's going to be a blast. Let's get to it. Boy, oh boy, do we have a lot to talk about today. A lot has been happening around Major League Baseball. The Astros-Dodgers weekend series was not without some drama. We had a Ryan Stanek balk that ended up bringing in the game-winning run. We had the Angels scoring 25 runs, leading many people to say, does baseball need a mercy rule at some point? Should you just should you just call the game? Ellie De La Cruz hit for the cycle. This is going to be a blast. But today, Alex is not with me. She had a weekend trip that she was not able to get back for and sent in some sound that I actually don't know. So let's listen to it now and see what she had to say. Hey guys, so I am officially stuck in Austin, Texas for another day, which sadly means I am going to miss the show today. But let me just walk you through my crazy travel morning. My flight was originally supposed to take off at 7 a.m., then it got delayed two hours, three hours, four hours. Then we actually boarded the plane, sat on the plane for an hour. Then we're told there was a malfunctioning piece on that plane. So then we had to get off the plane, wait another hour to be told that that plane was now out of service. And our next flight was going to be out at 8.30 p.m., 13 hours later. So serious FOMO right now that I'm not able to do the show. But there is a positive from the weekend, and that's that my Dodgers won the series against Ben's Astros. Let's go. All right, Ben. Carry the team. I mean... Ben's Astros seems a little extreme. I picked them to win the series. Can we also just acknowledge that Alex is wearing like a party hat there? Like she, she's, she's still partying in Austin. Completely believe that, but obviously wish she was here. Uh, But yeah, a great weekend. She mentioned the Dodgers Astros series as usual, the Sunday night baseball game. I, this episode is this Monday episode is recorded during this Sunday night baseball game. And the current situation is it is bottom of the 10th with two outs. It's a tie game, 5-5. to The Dodgers are up. Freddie Freeman's up. What I just saw was crazy. The Astros ended up really, really screwing themselves. Lay down a bunt with first and third. Nobody out. Guy gets out at first, but Jolks comes down the line, couldn't commit to anything, ends up getting thrown out in between third and home with one out after a disastrous bunt. And then the Dodgers end up tying it in the bottom of the 10th. So it's now 5-5. Five to five. Uh, So I will keep you updated. Well, you already know the result. But you'll see my reaction or hear my reaction live as that game is appearing to possibly be heading to the 11th. But another good weekend, high drama weekend of baseball. I mentioned the bulk. Uh, we had the London series. The London series was awesome. We had the Mets losing another series. By the way, The Mets are about to start a four-game series with the Brewers. If they don't win that series, if they don't win three at least in that series, the Mets are not going to win a single series in the entire month of June, which is not good. What was good? The London series. What? Just a great venue, a great experience. They played the game in the home of West Ham, the soccer team, as we call it soccer the soccer team in england west ham also the home of west ham which if you watch ted lasso that's a stadium that's often used in that uh in that final few episodes of the season um but it was just an awesome venue Derek jeter made his debut for fox sports in the pregame show he was awesome uh the venue was they turned they transformed it into a baseball field in like 
a few days. It was remarkable what they did out there. The place was packed. I believe it holds, I think I heard about 60,000 fans. Both of them were, were sold out. I am all for this. It was a blast to watch. Jeter was awesome. There was also a moment in which uh, David Ortiz gave a gift to Derek Jeter. So uh, just to, we'll talk about that more in a second. But a great weekend of baseball. And without, without Alex, I might add, we're going to get to our, our new segment here this Monday, but without Alex, we're going to, we're going to put hands in the, and we're going to put this into somebody else's hands. So let's get to our first segment. It's overreaction Monday. <laughs> Beautiful. Beautifully done by producer trip there. It is overreaction Monday. And what is our first overreaction? MLB should have a team in London. Wow, fitting. MLB should have a team in London. I think this is a this is becoming more and more of a conversation in sports, particularly particularly with football. Should there be a team in London? And I actually think we're less than five years away from it being announced that we're getting a football team in London. But when it comes to baseball, this is absolutely an overreaction. We can't have we can't have a baseball team in London. There's 162 games. You're not just playing once a week. You play way too much and the travel would be literally impossible. In football, once a week, absolutely absolutely you can make it happen. When it comes to baseball, I just don't think it's feasible. I I do really really like what baseball is doing though with these playing in different countries. We've now seen a Mexico series. We see the London series. In two years, in 2025, we're going to get a series in Paris. I, I really like this because I do believe it's it's growing the game. We saw it at first in the World Baseball Classic when Team Great Britain, and we heard all these stories about how baseball and the game is growing there, doing stuff like this, taking the game, taking the world's best athletes to another country and allowing them to see baseball up close and personal is only going to do wonders in the long run for the game. And now those people that saw the Cubs or saw the Cardinals or became a a favorite, one of those teams became their favorite team, they will follow that team perhaps when they're back over here in the United States. So I think taking the game on the road is a great thing. Do more of it, do it often, but we absolutely can't have a series where we can't have a team play in another country is at least overseas we could absolutely have a team like in the dominican or in mexico i do think that could happen though the altitude would get tricky in mexico might i add however i do think we could have a team just not overseas in london it would not be very possible also update on the game top of the 11th alex bregman rbi single to left field it is six to five astros in the top of the 11th producer trip hit me with the next overreaction baseball needs a mercy rule Ooh. I have strong opinions about this. Strong opinions. It comes after Sunday? Saturday. Saturday night, the Angels end up winning 25-1. to 25-1. to one. They were up 20 to nothing after the fourth inning. End up setting a franchise record of 25 runs, beating the previous record of 24, which led many throughout the game, especially. It got to the fourth inning, and the conversation became... Do we really have to play all nine innings here? Is that seriously something we have to do? I do not believe the Rockies are going to come back and be able to win this ball game. Baseball needs a mercy rule. No, it doesn't. Absolutely. There is no place for a mercy rule. Let's just, this is a professional sport. We are talking about professional athletes here. That's first and foremost. If you don't like it, play better. The slogan of professional baseball. I heard it a million times in the minor leagues. You don't like it, play better. You don't like the travel of single A, you don't like it, play better. Guess what? The travel gets better in double A and triple A in the big leagues. You don't like losing 25 nothing, 25 to 1. If you don't like it, play better. There absolutely cannot be a mercy rule in Major League Baseball. Why? Well, a few reasons. One, this game happens in Denver, right? A family of four gets enough money to go to their first ever Major League Baseball game all together and goes to watch a game. Next thing you know, it's 20 to nothing in the fourth inning and the game's over after five innings because of mercy rule? No, absolutely not. There are so many reasons, fans being the number one reason, that there shouldn't be a mercy rule in baseball. Secondly, statistics, numbers, players, you can't just end the game. You could have a player on a hitting streak. Right? You could have a guy at 55 games in a row. He's one game away from Joe DiMaggio's 56-game hit streak. But 
Oh, your team got up a hundred to nothing, and somehow you managed to be the only one to not get a hit. Guess what? The game is over. Well, no, we have records to keep in mind here. We have fans to keep in mind here we have people that spent money to go to a full nine inning baseball game to keep in mind here having a mercy rule in baseball is absolutely ridiculous and if you don't like it play better if you're the Rockies nobody's nobody is going to feel bad for you for losing 20 to nothing well maybe a few people will I had this discussion with my family who's in town last night when we were talking on Saturday night when we were talking about this game and a couple of the responses were well you know, at a certain point, you feel bad for the Rockies. No, you don't. I sure don't. You don't like it? Well, don't get down 20 to nothing in the first place. You don't like it? Play better. And, of course, things like that are going to happen. But you just got to just gotta take it. You just got to play nine innings. Baseball, you play nine innings, and to win the game, you got to get 27 outs. That's the way the game has always been played. That's the way the game should be played. And there's not enough good reasons to just call a game due to a mercy rule. It absolutely shouldn't happen. And another question that I think comes from this that I'm also passionate about is at what point do you just call off the dogs, pump the brakes a little bit if you're the Angels? You're up 20 to nothing in the fourth. At what point do you just hold your team back a little bit? I have an answer. Never. Ever. Don't do it. Why? Well, l- let me let me clarify a little bit. There are I, I don't think you need to be going, you know, let's say with the Angels. If you're Mike Trout and you hit a routine ground ball to shortstop, I I think it's acceptable to not run a hundred percent down the baseline and end up being thrown out on a bang bang play and being close to there's no reason to put yourself in harm's way, in the way of danger, right? And same with Let's say stolen bases. If you're on first and it's 20 to nothing, stealing a base, I, I'm not I, I, I'm a little bit indifferent on that. But when it comes to hitting, driving in runs, sending the runner at third base, here's why I'm very against calling off the dogs and not going as hard. There are incentives in Major League Baseball contracts. These are professionals that put money on their family's tables by producing. Driving in runs. If you're an offensive guy. There are plenty of incentives to if you drive in a hundred if you drive in a hundred runs on a year, you could get an extra hundred thousand dollars, quarter million dollars, an extra million dollars for driving in a hundred runs. So who are we in a professional baseball game to say, well, you are losing so bad that we decided to not send the runner and potentially not allow our guy to get a hundred RBIs? Look, I get it in Little League. I'm not saying there should be a little league team that goes out and beats the brakes off the other team 100 to nothing. I I get it in high school. I even I get it in college. But when we're talking about professionals, this is their livelihood, and your livelihood is producing and putting up runs. And if you don't do it, you're out. You're out of the game of baseball. Your livelihood is doing it. So in a game like this, we heard Gabe Kapler say this a couple. I, I believe it was last year. When the team was up like 18 to runs, 18 runs, and they asked him about, well, why'd you keep playing? And his answer was essentially the same thing. We're going to play 100%, whether we're up 20, whether we're down 20, we're going to give the same effort every single night. And for the reason of it being professionals and there being incentives and numbers and all of that on the line, I really disagree with, well, it's out of hand. Like, don't send the runners. Bases loaded, double in the gap. Like, just stop every guy at one base. No, I need those RBIs. So, for that reason, again, uh, I forget. I even forget what the original overreaction was. I always do this. Baseball needs a mercy rule. Uh, uh-uh. uh. No, it doesn't. At what point do you call off the dogs? Never, ever. That's my next overreaction. Hit me with the next one. The balk was incorrectly called in the Dodgers Astros game. Oh boy, the balk. The balk heard round the world. Ryan Stanek, late in the game against the Dodgers, balks in what would eventually be the winning run. Now, this sent the world in a frenzy because to the naked eye, I mean, was it really a balk? You, at the, to the naked eye, you couldn't see anything. But the umpire comes in and says, you balk. Next thing you know, that run scores. He gets out of the inning. He's going crazy on Junior Valentine, the umpire. He ends up getting thrown out of the game. And the conversation becomes, was it the right call? 
Well, I think to I, I think first we need to just explain the whole purpose of a balk. The the balk rule was put into place so that pitchers couldn't deceive the runner. Intentional deceit of the runner allows them to get an extra base, which I think is needed in the game of baseball, right? If I'm a pitcher and I come set, I can't lift my leg and pretend I'm going home and then put it straight down and get the runner who's running to second base. You you can't do that. That's a balk. I do think at this point, the rule needs to change. The rule needs to change. So what happened in the in the instance with Ryan Stanek is he's getting ready to come set. He hadn't even come set. He's going to step off of the rubber and kind of reset everything. And yes, anyone can see it once it's slowed down to slowed down to milliseconds. You can see his back knee twitch. I'm not here to acknowledge that that didn't happen. But in terms of it being anything remotely close to deceiving the runner and a need for the runner to advance to home, I just don't think I, I don't think it's needed. I don't think it's the right call. And if you want to sit here and say it's the right call because the umpire saw it, then great. Congratulations, Junior Valentine. You called the most ticky-tacky call of all time, and your stamp will forever be on that game against the Dodgers and the Astros on Saturday night. Congrats. And I can't sit here and tell you that, oh, my God, that was the wrong call, absolutely the wrong call. If you want to call it down to that, for exactly what it says, well, fine. It's up to intent. You believe it was. You believe it was a balk. Fine. But I did a deep dive into the rule book because there was a lot of talk. I I know the rules. Played baseball for a long time. I did a deep dive into what the rule book says here, and it says, according to Rule Eight Point Zero Five, a comment added to the rule: Umpires should bear in mind that the purpose of the balk rule is to prevent the pitcher from deliberately deceiving the base runner. If there is doubt in the umpire's mind, the intent of the pitcher of the pitcher should govern. Now look, was he intending to deceive the runner? I think we can all agree, no. If you want to call the ticky-tacky call of he was starting to come set, he wasn't even set, which I do believe is a big factor here. If a pitcher comes set and he twitches on the mound or his knee buckles, absolutely call that a balk because as a base runner, my tell at first base when I was going to steal bases was the pitcher's knee, the pitcher's front knee. That's what you're on the lookout for. Now, different batters look at different runners look at different things. I've seen guys look at ankles. I've seen guys look at, when, with a lefty on the mound. You see guys look at their foot that's on the rubber. And sometimes when a pitcher is pitching over, I actually encourage all of you to do this. If a left-handed pitcher is picking over, lifts their leg, and throws over to first, it is almost impossible to do it without lifting your toes up. So with a lefty on the mound, as a base runner, a lot of guys look at the toes of the, of the foot that's on the rubber. If he drives into the ground with those toes, he is heading home. If they lift up, he's heading to first base to pick off. Now, if there's a twitch at any point when you come set, yes, I get it. But back to this call, he was getting his sign starting to come set, like literally just standing up. It almost looked like he was trying to get comfortable on the mound and his back knee moves before he steps off. I just think it's ridiculous that a game in Major League Baseball could end like this. Not as, not end, but essentially end with that run coming in. I do, and, and maybe it involves a rule change. Maybe the rule needs to change so that umpires don't come out and make a call like that. Maybe that is what needs to happen. But in terms of this game, for it to end like that, just have some feel. How many times have you seen it? A guy's, a, a guy's knee will twitch or something happens on the mound before he comes set, and it's not called. This call isn't called 90% of the time in baseball. And in this moment, in this game, I just I wholeheartedly believe that it was the wrong call to make in that moment. It's not going to hurt anybody. In fact, if Ryan Stanek just stepped off the mound there like he did, nobody says a word. Not Dave Roberts, not the Dodgers, nobody. Because no, unless you really slow it down, you're not even noticing that his back knee might have twitched a little bit or did twitch a little bit. So again, have some feel. Congratulations, 
Junior Valentine, and to all the other Ronnie rule books out there stating, well, technically, this happened. And the technical, yeah, I, I get it. I just, as a fan of the game of baseball, struggle to have a game that was that good. Astros get out to a big lead. Dodgers fight back, fight back, fight back, end up tying the game. I struggle with a game that was that good to end like that. The nature of the rules isn't to, it's almost like what ended up happening with replay at bases, right? A guy ends up diving in safe, but oh, his left pinky finger lifted a centimeter off barely. And you can see it on this mill on this frame again, technically out. I get it. But like these, this rule wasn't intended for that. The rule in itself is intended for deceit of the base runner and for this game to end like this. In my opinion, it just sucked. So that's my thoughts here. Do we have, what's our next overreaction? The Yankees' playoff hopes are dead without Aaron Judge. Uh, playoff hopes. I, I'm gonna say I'm gonna, I'm gonna disagree with this. I think the Yankees' World Series hopes are dead without Aaron Judge. I do think that they can get into the playoffs without Aaron Judge. Now. Just to clarify, this question comes about on the brink of some pretty big news, which is something that I was thinking all along. I've mentioned this since the day I heard it. After that, after that game against the Dodgers, Aaron Boone, I think it was the next day in his interview, said, we're going to reevaluate Aaron Judge in a, in a couple of weeks and then clarify, oh, oh, sorry, days. That doesn't just come out. And ever since I heard him say that, it worried me that this injury was a little more serious than we were being led on. Well, it turns out, after all, Aaron Judge did tear a ligament in that big toe from crashing into the wall, and his timetable is very much so uncertain. He struggles to even walk right now. He still feels pain when he walks. He is nowhere close to baseball activity. And when asked about playing at any point this season, Aaron Boone was hopeful he plays, but also added, that's a guarantee. I don't, you know, I, I, can't, I can't say that. So do we see Aaron Judge back? I think so. And I hope so. But the Yankees have a lot to do and a lot of time to figure it out without him because right now it has been bad. With Aaron Judge this season, the Yankees are 30-19. and 19. That would be the fourth best winning percentage in all of baseball. Without Aaron Judge, 13-16, and 16, which is the eighth worst win percentage in baseball. Aaron Judge is their offense, especially right now with Giancarlo Stanton really struggling and a lot of guys in that lineup struggling. Anthony Volpe, the young and future at the shortstop position, struggling. Anthony Rizzo going through a lot of struggles. Josh Donaldson really struggling at the moment. So where is the Yankees offense coming from without Aaron Judge? Well, it's not coming from anywhere. And in the 29 games without him, they're batting 208. 208, 95 runs scored. That would be far worse, the worst, and by far the worst in baseball. The A's are at 3.5 runs per game. Yankees at 3.28 runs per game. So if you if you were to just narrow it down to those 29 games, without Aaron Judge, the Yankees offense is the worst in baseball, worse than the Oakland A's. So are their playoff hopes done without Judge? I would say no. I mean, if the season ended right now, they're a playoff team. And I have to think that at some point, Giancarlo Stanton, Anthony Rizzo are going to turn it to turn it around. I'm I'm much less uh I'm much less uh what's the word I'm looking for? Much less uh hopeful that Josh Donaldson turns it around because it's been well over a year at this point of him not being the player the AL MVP that he once was. He's not that guy, but yet the Yankees are continuing to stick with him through thick and thin. I don't really understand that, but at some point, this team is going to turn around. Stanton, Rizzo, I, I believe in Volpe. So uh, I'm going to say playoff hopes not dead, World Series hopes are dead. And before we get to our next one, a little update, ball game over. Astros have won. They beat the Dodgers in 11 innings. Ground ball to third base ends it with a runner on th the tying run on third base. Ground ball to third ends the game. Astros avoid the sweep in Los Angeles, which ultimately was a great series. And the balk played, unfortunately, played a big part of it. I, and I would rather, I would honestly rather sit up here and tell you right now that Ryan Stanek gave up a 600 foot home run. And the Dodgers ended up winning by three because of that, because of the homer. But no, 
they ended up winning that Saturday game because of the bulk that we all know I'm extremely frustrated with. So a great series nonetheless. I think both of these teams kind of needed this atmosphere and this vibe to maybe turn things around. But Hunter Brown on Sunday is, man, the future of this Astros rotation. Him and Framber are going to be studs in that rotation for a long time to come. Hunter Brown was on Flippin' Bass just a couple of weeks ago, and man, he is He's the real deal. So that game just wrapped up, and I believe we have one more overreaction. So let's hear it. Ellie De La Cruz can still win the NL Rookie of the Year. I absolutely think Ellie can still win Rookie of the Year. Now we all know I'm the biggest Corbin Carroll guy maybe on the planet. That might be. MVPCC. And he is, he is the favorite to win the award and should win the award if the season ended right now. But can Ellie win it? absolutely he can win it. He now has the second best odds. He's been up for less than three weeks, and he already has the second best odds to win it. At one point this season, Ellie De La Cruz was plus 5,250 to win the award. That is 52 to 1 to win NL Rookie of the Year. He is now at plus 500, 5 to 1. What was once 52 to 1 is now 5 to 1. Absolutely, Ellie De La Cruz can win NL Rookie of the Year. And the reason he can is because I really think when it comes to these awards, it takes moments, right? Like you have to have a moment to stick out. And that will ultimately lead you to uh, leave a lasting memory in the vote getters' minds in terms of who gets the award. Well, we're coming off of L.A. De La Cruz hitting for the cycle, which puts him in elite territory. First cycle for the Reds since Eric Davis, the third player since at least 1890 to hit for the cycle in his 15th career game or earlier. And listen to this list. Every 21-year-old player in history to hit for the cycle and steal a base in an MLB game. L.A. De La Cruz and Mike Trout. That's it. That's the list. You start doing things like that, and you start leading your team on a 12-game win streak, putting you from third in the division to first in the division, just like that. This team's exciting. Um, the ballpark, Great American Ballpark over the weekend against the Atlanta Braves, the best attendance in the history of the ballpark for a series. Ellie De La Cruz has turned this team around. And I know I was excited about the Reds even before this. I feel like it was just yesterday. I was sitting up here clamoring on about, please, Reds, call up Ellie De La Cruz and Christian Encarnacion, Christian Encarnacion Strand. Please, make it happen. They called up Ellie that night. And things from that moment on have completely changed for the Cincinnati Reds. And that's the kind of moment that I'm talking about. Those are the kind of things you need to happen for a rookie of the year. If the Diamondbacks go on to make the playoffs, as it appears, they're on their way to do. And I still think at this point, I mean, man, it would be quite the story if the Diamondbacks do make the playoffs. If they go on to make the playoffs and Corbin Carroll continues to have a very good year, I do think he's going to win the rookie of the year award. There's still a chance he, the, the Diamondbacks don't do it and that Corbin Carroll struggles a little bit throughout the year, and that Ellie De La Cruz continues to be a once-in-a-generation player that does it all. He hits for power. He has speed. Joey Votto, who just came back. I love Joey Votto. He's also a friend of Flippin' Bats who came on last year and was one of my favorite interviews of all time. He comes back within the last week, and it, just an exciting moment for him to be back because the Reds have not been very good for a long time. And for Joey Votto, who is potentially a Hall of Famer to come back in the midst of the winning streak and to be a big part of why the winning streak continued to come back was awesome. But Joey Votto said this about Ellie De La Cruz, which I thought was pretty powerful stuff. Has there been a better switch hitting speed power guy? The only comp I can think of is Mickey Mantle, a young Mickey Mantle. That's unfair to put on Ellie, maybe one of the greatest players of all time. But also added, there is no comparison. I've got nobody to compare him to. There's no precedent that I've seen in my experience. How lucky are we to have him in Cincinnati? Can Ellie win NL Rookie of the Year? He absolutely can win NL Rookie of the Year. But my good friend Corbin Carroll, MVPCC, might have a lot to say about that. All right, now, as it always is on Mondays, it is time for my new and improved top 
10 Major League Baseball Power Rankings. We got one newcomer back into the Power Rankings this week. We got a lot of the same as once you get close to the halfway point in the year, you know, things probably aren't going to shift around too drastically throughout the week, but we did have a little bit of movement this week, and we will start with number 10 on my power rankings this week. I have the Los Angeles Dodgers, who beat the Houston Astros in that series, uh, ended up winning two of three, lost on Sunday, but had a very good week, which ultimately culminated in that win against the Houston Astros. They're 43 and 34. They dropped out for one week. They were out of the power rankings for one week because they deserve to be out. They were not playing good baseball, but they do now. They're back to playing well. Uh, Freddie Freeman with his 2,000th hit on Sunday. Congrats to Freddie Freeman, who, by the way, I feel like right now, if his career ended, which hopefully it doesn't, thank God it's not ending, I think he's a Hall of Famer if all was said and done right now. Congrats to Freddie Freeman on 2,000 and for, to the Dodgers on a good week. They're here at number 10. Moving on to number 9. The Cincinnati Reds up one from number 10. They're 41 and 37. So, let me explain. They end up losing the series to the Atlanta Braves, continued their winning streak, though, until Saturday. So the winning streak got to 12 in a row, end up losing to the Atlanta Braves. And I honestly think I walked away from that series more impressed with the Reds than I did less impressed. Because the Braves, one of the best teams in baseball, the best team in the National League, one of the best teams in the league, and they go into Cincinnati for what looked like to become a juggernaut series against a really good team, the Atlanta Braves against the new and improved and exciting Cincinnati Reds and Ellie De La Cruz, and the Cincinnati Reds held every bit of their own. And it came down to the Sunday game. The Reds were 90 feet away from tying up that game and winning, and that was the rubber match of the series. So Reds continue the winning streak this week, ended up losing for the first time on Saturday for the first time in two weeks. I walked away really impressed with this team. I love watching the Cincinnati Reds. This week, this weekend series against the Atlanta Braves, the highest attendance for a series in great American ballpark history. I love the Reds, and so do all of the Reds fans and all of Cincinnati. They've been a blast to watch. They're at number nine, up one. Let's move on to number eight on this week's power rankings, the Philadelphia Phillies, up also one from where they were last week. Beat the Mets in a weekend series. They are 40 and 37. Now, 40 and 37 doesn't jump off the page at you, but, you know, we're talking two weeks ago, they were under 500. They were not looking good. And then they go on that win streak. I believe they won six in a row, beat the Mets in that weekend series, still playing good baseball. They're 40 and 37 and at number eight on this week's power rankings. Moving on to number seven, also up one spot, the San Francisco Giants, 44 and 34 are the Giants playing really, really good baseball right now. Now, they have the Diamondbacks come to town, do really well against the Diamondbacks, end up losing that Sunday game, but win the series. They've been winning a lot of series of late. Also, there's a winning streak theme with a lot of these teams. I think the Dodgers got to four this week. Reds got to 12. I think the Giants got to like eight. I don't know the exact number there, but a win streak nonetheless, as well as the Phillies had gone on a win streak as well. So, Giants are up one, playing really good baseball. I know not a lot of people believed in this team a lot at the start of the season. Everybody wanted to talk about the Dodgers, wanted to talk about the Padres. Nobody talking about the fighting snakes down in Arizona. Nobody talking about the Giants, but here they both are. Well, spoiler, said both. Here's one of them. The Giants are here at number seven, up one. Moving on to number six on this week's power rankings, the Miami Marlins. Staying the same. 45 and 34, and it's time we have a conversation about Yuri Perez, who is the youngest pitcher in baseball and one of the most dominant pitchers in the game of baseball right now. This pitching staff is dominant, and at some point, Sandy Alcantara is going to turn around and become the NL Cy Young Award winner that he was last year and pitch as well. I, I think, I obviously don't think he can get to the Cy Young at this point this year. It's been a tough start to the season. Of course, we're only halfway through. He could dominate in the second half. But I do believe he's going to turn it around, and this pitching staff that's already been really good is only going to continue to get better. On top of Luis Arise, who's hitting 400. It's the latest end of the season a player has hit 400 since Nomar Garcia-Para. That's how long it has been. The Marlins are 45-34, and 34, 
put some respect on their name. Moving on to number five. At number five, we have the Texas Rangers, 47 and 30. End up losing Sunday to the Yankees. Not their best series there, but I still believe this team is very good. Corey Seager and Marcus Simeon up the middle are arguably the best double play combo in the game of baseball offensively. Not saying defensively, but offensively, they might be the best middle infielder in the game of baseball. Josh Young over at third base. The entire infield rakes. Nathaniel Lowe, Marcus Simeon, Corey Seager, Josh Young, Jonah Heim behind the plate. These guys are the real deal. They do have pitching issues. So they need to figure it out. You can see right now the Rangers are at that point in the year where they got off to the great start, and now they're at a point where they're playing okay. They're kind of treading water right now, but you got some teams behind you that are creeping up a little bit, and you can't be treading water for much longer. So I think the time is now. I, I know a lot of people would say it's way too early to start making trades. When you have a glaring issue like the Rangers do in your bullpen, and you also need another starter or two, go address it. Get it done now so that you don't go on a losing streak this point in the season. The next thing you know, the Angels have passed you in the division. The, the Astros have passed you in the division. Take advantage of the start to the year. I do believe this offense is capable of winning a World Series. Will the pitching allow them to get there? As of right now, I don't believe so. But add to that, and you never know. They're 47-30 and 30 and staying put at number five. Moving on to number four in this week's power rankings, we have the Arizona Diamondbacks, 47 and 32. What more can I say about this team that I haven't already said? I love these guys. The Snakes are fun. They're exciting. Their outfield has been dubbed the no-fly zone. You got Corbin Carroll. You got Alec Thomas. You got Jake McCarthy. They're so fast. They're so good defensively. Corbin Carroll is going to get MVP votes. He's a stud. They're pitching very well. Zach Gallen, Merrill Kelly. They need pitching help. Again, similar to with the Texas Rangers. A lot of these teams that we're seeing on the top 10 this week and the last couple of weeks are smaller market teams, mid-market teams. So we don't see these teams that have, they're not all complete. They're not all ready to win a World Series. But that's what I think is exciting about the game of baseball this year. You have so many of these teams on the list that you would never expect. Let's look at it right now. Reds, Phillies, Giants to a degree, Marlins, Rangers, Diamondbacks. Who saw this coming? All of these teams do have holes that they need to fill, but they're all playing very well. The Diamondbacks are one of those. I would just love to see them add a top-tier starter into their rotation at the trade deadline. I don't know if there's going to be one available, but I'd love to see them add one. They're at number four. Next up, number three, also staying put, we got the Baltimore Orioles, 47-29. and 29. The O's are fun. Camden Yards is a blast. I swear, I need to get to Camden Yards before this season ends, and I want to sit out in the bird bath where when they have an extra base hit, they spray water on everybody, and they do what the players are doing. It's an absolute blast. They're getting healthy now. Cedric Mullins, uh, Anthony Santander is hitting better. This team is legit. Again, as with every other team, it's the theme of the top ten these days. There are holes. Maybe nobody expected, nobody expected the Orioles to be number three in the power rankings at the end of June. Nobody did. But I think people expected them to be competitive this year. But this competitive, I don't know. They have their holes. They need to go address those. As my good friend and Hall of Famer John Smoltz told me just a couple of weeks ago, he's not a big fan of teams like believing in their window and playing the long game. When you have a chance to win a title, go make it happen. You know, there's no guarantee, and nobody knows that better than him and that Braves team that won all those division titles in a row and went to all those playoffs and had so many playoff runs and walked away with one World Series. When you have a chance, when you have an opportunity, buy all in and make it happen. And the Orioles are in that position right now. Let's move on to number two. And number two on the power rankings, we have the Atlanta Braves, who I am getting very, very close to moving the Braves up to the number one in the power rankings. They're 50 and 27. They've won nine of their last 10 games. They won that series against the Reds, who were the hottest team on planet Earth. The Braves have no holes. More than everybody else in these power rankings, they're that team that was supposed to be there and is there. You know, everybody was expecting with the power rankings at this point in the year for it to be the Braves and the Padres and the Dodgers and the Mets and the Yankees and the Cardinals. The Braves are the one team that has lived up to their expectations this year as high as they were. I predicted the Braves to be in the World Series this year, 
and they are currently playing like they are a World Series champion team. 50 and 27, but they are staying in the same spot as they were last week. Though, I will add, perhaps getting closer and closer and closing that gap to the number one spot, which number one again on this week's power rankings is the Tampa Bay Rays, who are 54 and 27, and no doubt a very, very good baseball team. But they are just over the last week to two weeks playing, over the last week, 10 days we'll say, 10 games, playing 500 baseball, which is it enough to bump them out of the power rankings right now? No, because they still have the best record in baseball by about four games, but it, that gap is closing and it is closing fast. But this team, they're the real deal. I actually, I, I have a lot of respect for the way that Kevin Cash handled the Wander Franco situation and benching the 22-year-old. He's the phenom. He's the future of the shortstop position for the Tampa Bay Rays. And what he did by benching him for a couple of games and publicly didn't really say much. We don't really know everything that was going on. But basically, I'm paraphrasing here, basically said he needs to, go, to grow up and handle his emotions better. And he's going to bench him for a couple days and hopefully he figures it out. Did he? Well, time will tell, but he did hit a homer in his first game back, which, which will help everybody involved, including the Rays. And they are here at number one, rounding out this week's top 10 Major League Baseball power rankings. We're moving on now, though, to our team of the week. I'm going to stay up here on the stage, and we'll bring up our brand new graphic. This is the first team of the week we're doing in the brand new studio, at least up here on the LED floor and in the wall. So, wow. This looks great. And let's start at the catcher position as we do every week. My catcher is Yanir Diaz of the Houston Astros. 346 on the week with two homers, five RBIs, and an OPS of 1,000. Martin Maldonado does a lot of catching there in Houston. He is their guy defensively. There's no doubt about that. There's nobody better at controlling a pitching staff than Martin Maldonado. And I love the guy. But offensively, he is not one of the game's best offensive catchers. If the, if the Astros can get production out of Yanir Diaz at the catcher position like they did this week, they're going to be in really good shape and able to do a few different things behind the plate, mixing and matching guys. Or they'll be a lot more um, they'll be a lot more able to pinch hit late in the game and then bring Diaz because you feel a lot more comfortable with him there behind the plate if he's going to produce like this. He's my catcher on team of the week. Let's move over to first base. At first base on my team of the week, we have Matt Olson. 333, four homers, seven RBIs, and an OPS of 1.464. He also added a homer on Sunday, but that doesn't count for team of the week because as we all know, it's Sunday through Saturday. So if you're mad at me, as everybody always gets mad, if you're if you're favorite player had a good Sunday, well, guess what? That'll count for next week. But Matt Olson had a good all week, including Sunday. He's my first baseman. Let's move on to my second baseman on my team of the week, which is Luis Arise, who continues to hit 400 on the year. On the week, the last seven days, he hit 542 with a homer. That's right. Luis Arise hit his third home run of the season. Two since he came on flipping bats, I might add. How can you be better? The flipping bats bump. How could you possibly get better when you're hitting 400 and then you go on flipping bats? Ben, you're going to be in trouble. The guy's hitting 400. He can't possibly do better. Well, guess what? The guy has become Barry Bonds after coming on flipping bats. How's that? Two homers in the last few weeks. The guy does not hit homers. And on the week, he hit another one. A 1.254 OPS on the week and zero strikeouts on the week. Not a single one. If there is anybody, and look, we can have this conversation until the end of the year. Is he going to hit 400 all year long? Probably not. But if there's anybody in the game that can do it, it is going to be Luis Arise, who continues to do it late into June. The latest we have seen a Major League Baseball hit, Major League Baseball player hit 400 since Nomar Garcia Parra. Let's move on to third base. At third base, we have Ellie De La Cruz. What what can I say about Ellie? The guy's a stud. He had 520 on the week. He has two home had two homers, three doubles, a 1500 OPS, and was a big reason that the Reds continued their winning streak through 12 games. He's my third baseman. Let's move on to shortstop. My shortstop on my team of the week is Francisco Lindor. 
Lindor needed to heat up. He is the heartbeat of the New York Mets team. I, w- I say that, but the Mets still didn't have a very good week, even with Francisco Lindor heating up, which is not a good sign for the New York Mets. But he had 368 on the week, two homers, seven RBIs, a 1290 OPS, tacked on another home run on Sunday. Great week. The guy's heating up, and he needed to. Not just for the Mets, for himself. Again, he's the heartbeat of the Mets team. They're not playing well. He's paid to play very well. Uh, he also advanced to phase two of the All-Star Game voting, by the way, which I'll talk all about tomorrow. But Lindor had a good week. Let's move on to the outfield. Three outfielders, regardless of their position, left, center, right, it does not matter. Just three of the best three outfielders that had the best week. We'll start with Juan Soto. Juan Soto is, in case you haven't heard, back to being Juan Soto. 478 on the week, three homers, six RBIs, and eight walks. I, I, I don't love... Look, Juan Soto is fantastic. I honestly wish he would walk less. I know that's like his thing, but he's Juan Soto. He has so much power. He has so much ability to see the plate well and drive the ball the other way and let it get deep. If I'm Juan Soto, I want to drive the ball. But I heard him the other day say his favorite stat offensively is walks. Look, it's great. He's a great hitter. He has great plate discipline, which will help him his entire career. But I would love to see him swing at a few more first pitches and drive the ball. And But again, eight walks on the week. Very good. My next outfielder, my second of three outfielders, we have Jake Fraley of the Cincinnati Reds, 368, four homers, nine RBIs, and slugged over 1,000 on the week. That is two Cincinnati Reds on my team of the week because, well, the Reds are playing like one of the best teams in baseball. Let's move on to my final outfielder, my third of three outfielders on team of the week, Eddie Rosario, 533. On the week, 533, two homers, six RBIs, an OPS of 1,700 on the week. (laughs) Absolutely. He's had a great last two weeks, by the way, and he's hitting at the bottom. This Braves lineup is so good. He hits at the bottom of the Braves lineup. He's raking. You have Orlando Arcia, who's the leading vote-getter at the shortstop position for the National League in phase one of the voting. He, He hits in like the eighth spot for the Braves. This team is so good, and the depth of the lineup, including Eddie Rosario, is a big reason why. He had a fantastic week. Let's move on to my designated hitter on Team of the Week. My DH this week, Joey Votto. The man is back. I love it. Joey Votto rakes. He's the third Cincinnati Red on this list, and rightfully so. Their win streak got to 12 this week. 12 wins in a row. And Joey Votto coming back and being a part of this is awesome. You know, Joey Votto with the Reds has been through a lot. And by a lot, I mean just really bad years. But when asked about trades and stuff, he's consistently said, I'm a Red. I want to be a Red. I want to see it through for the long haul. He's going to go in the Cincinnati Reds Hall of Fame. And one day he might end up in the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame. I hope he does. And he's going to do that as a Cincinnati Red. So it was really cool to see him come back this season. He hadn't played all year. Come back from his injury in the midst of a winning streak, in the midst of the best attended series in Great American Ballpark history, and for him to be a part of that. And a big reason they continued their winning streak. In his first game back, he had a homer, drove in three runs. They end up winning that game because of that. So Joey Votto is my DH after hitting 294, three homers in his return this week, seven RBIs, and an OPS of 1224. Let's move on to my starting pitcher on the team of the week. Joe Ryan, complete game shutout. Nine innings, nine strikeouts, zero runs, zero walks, and only three hits. Pretty simple. You don't really see many complete game shutouts anymore in the game of baseball, and we saw one from Joe Ryan this week, and that's why he is on my team of the week. And lastly, on this team of the week, my closing pitcher, we have Evan Phillips. Three saves on the week, Four innings pitched, four strikeouts, zero earned runs, and only one hit given up. Pretty close to perfect. And boy, do the Dodgers need it because they, outside of him, do not have many reliable arms in that bullpen. So to have a guy that they can turn to and get you three saves on a week and be perfect out of the bullpen is vital for them and their success. The Dodgers, as their team currently sits, I don't believe it's capable of winning a World Series. They need bullpen help and more than just Evan Phillips. I watch so many Dodgers games because they come on here 
late night and I'm able to unwind and watch the Dodgers or the Angels or the Padres, whoever's on the West Coast. So I watch a lot of Dodgers games and they'll be leading a game until the starting pitcher comes out and next thing you know, an inning, two innings later, they're trying to scratch and claw from behind, which their offense is capable of doing. But if you have more arms like Evan Phillips, that would really, really help them. So that rounds out this week's team of the week. Let's move on to my player of the week, which is Ellie De La Cruz. I love this guy. 520 on the week, two homers, six RBIs, a big part of this 12-game winning streak. He's been in the big leagues for like 16 days, and the Reds have won 13 games. The win streak was, you can point to Ellie De La Cruz coming up to when things really switched for the Reds. And they've been a solid baseball team this year, and we're really showing glimpses of being good, which is what excited me and made me call for Ellie to be called up. And they clearly were ready to roll when he came up. So a historic week as well. He hit for the cycle, just the third player since at least 1890 to hit for the cycle in his age 20 in 15 games or less in a career. He had played in 15 games in his career when he hit for the cycle in that game. Since 1890, only three players have ever done that. More elite territory he entered. Players aged 21 or younger to hit for the cycle in a game and steal a base in that same game. Mike Trout and Ellie De La Cruz, the only two players in the history of baseball to do that. The guy is an absolute stud. First red cycle since Eric Davis did it. We all know that name. Eric Davis is one of the greatest Reds of all time. And I said this before. It's a little presumptuous. The guy's been up in the big leagues for less than three weeks. We're talking about a talent that I really do believe can ultimately be one of the greatest Reds of all time. I get it. He hasn't proven much in the big leagues. He's proven a lot in a very short amount of time. And there's obviously longevity involved in this. But I do believe this guy can have a very good career. Joey Votto, who I just mentioned in my Team of the Week, also mentioned that his only comp he can think of to Ellie De La Cruz is a young Mickey Mantle, switch hitter with power, very fast. It was the only comp he could even think of. And then added, how lucky are we to have him in Cincinnati? Ellie De La Cruz is a stud, and he hit 520 on the week with two homers, six RBIs, and he is my player of the week. And that, my friends, does it for this Monday episode of Flippin' Bats without Alex Curry because she's trapped somewhere. It sound, the story sounded bad, but the hat looked like fun. So I'm just going to, I still think she's having a lot of fun down there in Austin. But Alex will be back on Thursday's episode of Flippin' Bats. So the live Thursday episode, she'll be back for that in her normal spot, and we will be off and running. But in the meantime, you got me, like the old days, just up here talking baseball with my friends. This one's been a blast. Thank you all for listening to this Monday episode of Flippin' Bats. Make sure you're all subscribed anywhere you listen to your podcast. We're also on all social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and you can watch everything on YouTube at Flippin' Bats Pod for all of them. Thank you all for listening to this Monday episode. By the way, Wednesday, we got Cal Ripken Jr. coming up, the Hall of Famer, one of the greatest of all time, the Iron Man. We're going to talk about his streak, all the all-star games. That one's going to be a blast. I'm so excited for everybody to hear that. But for this Monday episode, until tomorrow, my friends, 